Good morning. Uh, let's read in John chapter 15. I gotta turn there. We'll start in verse 9 and read through verse 17. Jesus is speaking and he says, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his, one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. Jesus, let these words sink down into our hearts. Um, let these words uh, fit when they land in your church. Um, let your people, God, your children, behave like this. Receive these words. Abide in your love and keep your commandments. We know that what we, we're reading right now is important. Uh, we know that, that this is your word for us uh, now. And we ask for your Holy Spirit to help us be able to receive these things obediently. In Jesus' name, amen. So, in the John chapter 15, a beautiful passage, a beautiful chapter, really, you know, you might argue one of the best. Um, in our passage here from 9 to 17, you, you see in verse 9, he says, Abide in my love. Abide in my love. And then in 12 and 17, he says, Love one another. And there is this kind of direction, um, this momentum in this passage where we're going from uh, a place where Jesus is talking about his love for the disciples, God's love for you, and then that leads him into the encouragement, the commands, the new command that he gives, that we ought to love one another. Now, at the root of all of this, and and all of chapter 15, especially, and even the, the things that we talked about last week with the vine and the branches, we have this word, abide. And, and in, chap, in verse 9, chapter 15, he says, Abide in my love. Jesus has described the relationship um, of God and Christians now in terms of a vine and branches. And in that relationship where you're, you're the branch, you're the fruit-bearing branch, you are cared for by both your, um, your vine, the, the trunk of the, of the plant, and all the roots, and the vine dresser. You are cared for externally and internally. Um, now, there are branches, we talked about this last week, there are branches who are not connected to the vine. They're imposters. Uh, in comparing this with the other parables of Jesus, of... Um, of the wheat and the tares, of good fish in a net with bad fish to be divided out later, uh, of sheep and goats. We see Jesus in his parables consistently speaks of false converts. And John, 
uh, who's writing, you know, recording these words for us, John writes in 1 John that there are those who go out from, uh, from us to show that they were not of us. And there are vines like that that do not bear fruit that because they are not abiding in the vine. The abiding life that Jesus talks about is the Christian life. And the abiding life will produce fruit. The one who abides in Christ will bear fruit. That's a promise we have in John 15. Um, and God is glorified, we read, God is glorified by our fruitfulness. And we talked about fruitfulness being, uh, refer could be referring to a lot of things, but, but essentially the boiled down uh, fruitfulness, I guess that would make it the jam, maybe, uh, is works of obedience. In order to encourage this fruit, God will prune you. He cuts away unfruitful branches, all the suckers. Um, God is intent on removing the unfruitful parts of your life. Don't be surprised that he removes parts, uh, things from your life that you consider yourself rather attached to. That's how pruning works. And one result here is you will be reminded that the source for your life is not in the branches. It's not in your life at all. It's in His. He, Jesus, is the source for all your life. In, in chapter 14, verse 19, he said, because I live, you will live also. And of course, Paul would say, to live is Christ. And he would say, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, in Galatians 2. So you, pruning um, that somewhat painful process of God removing things from your life, some things that you, you think are good things even, will be a reminder to you of where your source is, where your source for life is. It's in the vine. It's in Christ. Now, the command has already been given in the Gospel of John. Love. Love one another. It's already been given in the upper room. Jesus washed the feet of the disciples, and he said, I'm doing this for you, now you go and do it for each other. And that, that's fruit. Um, loving one another is, is a fruit and, and the result of abiding and submitting to the pruning of the vine dresser. And now we come to verse 9, and we're still in that conversation, right, about abiding and about fruit-bearing and about the care that the Father and the Son have for the fruit-bearing branches, us. And he says, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. How does Jesus love us? You know, we, we sing the hymn, um, of course, we haven't in a long time, but, Oh, how I love Jesus. Uh, oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. And at the end of that, it's because he first loved me. And that's taken right from, you know, John's other book. We love him because he first loved us. Um, but, you know, there's, there's the other lines of the hymn, uh, or another hymn entirely, you know, what wondrous love is this, oh my soul. And really, that's a better question to ask. Um, you know, there's a bit of uh, sentimental uh, Sunday school like singing, oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, I love Jesus so much. But you know what? That, not so much. He loves you a lot more. And when we consider the wondrous love of Jesus, we see that his love for you is at the level of the Father's love for his only begotten Son. You know, last week I mentioned, I think it was in the recording, which came up late, of course, but I know it was in the Sunday uh, the Sunday version, um, you know, that God has favorites. He only has one only begotten son. 
He loves Jesus most of all, and all of the love that we receive are in that, in the vine. The, the, the vine dresser cares for the vine, and the branches re receive from that, that benefit. Um, and that's still, you know, I'm still saying that's true, that God loves his son most of all. But the love he loves you with, the love that Jesus loves you with, is the same caliber of love. It's the same weight of love that the Father loves the son, with which the Father loves the Son. How does Jesus love us? As the Father loves the Son, so He loves you. The Son abides in the Father, so He loves, and, and that, that's the source for their love. How are you going to love others? We, well, we abide in His love. Now we'll get to that in verse, in verse 17. But there is no other way for this fruitfulness to happen other than realizing that just as he has a he is in the father we also place ourselves in Christ for the results of this loving relationship Jesus is telling the disciples I love you and I love you this much and he's going to describe that love even more later saying no no greater love has anyone than this that a man lay down his life for his friends. He's telling them, I love you this much and this is what it's going to look like. I'm going to sacrifice my life for yours because I love you. But at this point in chapter 9, his encouragement is simply, abide in my love. Abide in my love. When we talked about abiding. That's making your home somewhere. It's settling in. It's putting down roots. Um, he, he said... He already said, you know, abide in me in verse 4. Now he says, abide in my love. Live here. Live with me. Now this is, abide in me, that, that encouragement to the disciples was probably met with some furrowed brows, raised eyebrows, looks of confusion. Because Jesus at this point had already said, I'm going and you can't come. And so, when he says, I'm leaving, I'm, you can't come with me, I'm going, and that's the way it's going to be, you know, they're thinking, we can't be with you. But now he's saying, live with me, live in me, abide in me. And now he explains that a little bit more of what he means by abiding in Christ. He says, abide in my love. That's a little different than abiding in him. Um, it's, a, it's, it's explaining the same principle, but to abide in the love of God is to live and move and have your being in his love. Um, and the way, you know, devotional texts will take this will often be, and this is, this is good, I'm not being, you know, critical of this, but uh, it'll often, you know, be the encouragement to, to uh, dwell in the scriptures and in practicing the presence of God and in praying deeply in just drawing your mind to the love of Christ. Think about the cross. Think about the love of God. And that, that's needed. I think that's good. I think that should be part of your devotional life. But that is not primarily what it means to abide in the love of God. You know, the, what I think of when I see abide in my love, I think I'm just going to be walking around, doing, you know, going to the store, going to meetings, whatever, and I'm just going to be thinking like, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. And I think that's great. I would love it if that was always, always, always on my mind, to be always filled with that spirit is a good thing and that's fantastic and try it. But again, that's not exactly what it's saying right here. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. This verse can't be separated or severed from verse 9. 
This is an explanation of what it is to abide in his love, just as abiding in his love is an explanation of verse 4 of what it means to abide in Christ at all. Now, he says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And, and I would suggest in, in looking at this whole paragraph, we see that abiding in his love is really a source for loving others. But now we have keeping his commandments as a means of abiding in his love. And if that sounds circular, I think, I think that's reasonable because it kind of is. Um, you know, now by design, abiding is fellowship. Abiding means fellowship. It means being with Jesus. But Jesus is leaving. So how will they maintain this closeness? How will they maintain this closeness through, uh, closeness to Jesus? It's through obedience. It's doing the things that he has commanded. Now this cycle, this circular um, principle is not unlike you know, grace and works in terms of salvation, or we talk about growing in grace. Growing in grace can look a whole lot like obedience. And while we know, you know, works, good works, um, keeping the law, no flesh is justified by keeping the law, um, that's not what gets your salvation, but then once you are saved by grace, that produces works. And in, in much the same way, you know, you, you need to focus in on, on your mind and your heart in the presence of God, on the love of God. And as you see the love of God for you, this will produce in you this force to be reckoned with, this desire, this Holy Spirit desire to love others and to keep his commandments. So the source, again, it, it's the vine. The source is the vine. Um, love, keeping commandments, that might be fruit. But there's also a closeness to Jesus that comes from keeping those commandments, following his orders, and loving others. And we, uh, we, we forget this sometimes, you know? Uh, we seek closeness with the Lord primarily, or maybe only, in that little bit of quiet time you know, that your pastor says you need to have every day, and he does. We seek the closeness with the Lord in, you know, those beautiful spiritual disciplines of, of studying Scripture, memorizing Scripture, just um, being washed in the water of the Word, and prayer, 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 long times of prayer, fasting, you know, meditating on the Word of God. Like, those are things that bring you into a closeness with Christ. And, and those things do produce an abiding in Christ. But there are many people, many people, and, and I've, I've, I've talked to many of them. Um, I see this all the time where there's someone who has really good habits, really good Bible study habits, really good um, disciplines. You know, they go to all the Bible studies that are offered, and, and they'll study every morning, and they're reading through, and, and what they're not experiencing is this closeness that, you know, they feel is offered to them for having done all their, their chores, you know, and they pray a ton and they read the Bible a ton, but there's just this sense of distance between them and the Lord. This happens a lot. I'm, it probably happens in most Christian lives. It's, I'm sure it's happened to most of you. And I would suggest that we've missed verse 10 in this principle of abiding. Yes, your devotional life is how you settle into the love of Christ. That is how you renew your mind um, and, and you dwell in Christ, abide in Christ, abide in his love. But he says, if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. 
And that, that next level of putting roots down, making your home, abiding, noticing that you are in the presence of the most holy God. That comes not only from memorizing scripture, that comes from feeding the poor. Um, you know, that, that comes from bearing fruit of faithfulness and patience and self-sacrifice. Um, one area, and maybe it's very applicable to our day and age, where obedience is sometimes lacking. You, I've, I've met plenty of people and I've talked to people that you know, consider themselves students and they, they study the Bible and they, they've got all the right questions, or at least they're interesting questions, and they, they study and they know stuff and they read the right blogs and they read the right books and they don't go to church. Um, you know, they might have a lot of good answers, but that's disobedience. And there is a fellowship that is required of us that is part of keeping the commandments of the Lord. And that we shouldn't be surprised that if, if someone is deprived from that fellowship, which we are told, we're commanded in Scripture to engage in, we shouldn't be surprised that a closeness with the Lord is lacking. Um, I mean, those are just a, a couple examples, you know. You might return to, you know, the simple commands of Jesus, since he is talking about what he has commanded the disciples. Think of some of the commands he's made. If someone slaps you on the, right, on the one cheek, turn the other to them. If they take your coat, give them your shirt too. If someone compels you to walk, with, uh, walk a mile with them, walk too. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Oh, those commandments. Yeah, those commandments. As you, as you seek to obey what God has commanded, that brings you in to that deep abiding closeness with the Lord. Last week I closed with a quote, um, not, a, not a quote from Hudson Taylor, but it was a, uh, uh, something that his son wrote about him. And his son, you know, the impression that Hudson Taylor gave to those who, who saw him was one of abiding in Christ. It was just that he was in God and God was in him. And we think of that in devotional terms, of just kind of the spiritual mindset. But you also have to remember, Hudson Taylor, you know, moved to China. Um, <laughs> he, he obeyed the Lord when it literally cost him everything. And then once he got there, he realized that none of the other missionaries were really going out into the Chinese neighborhoods and making disciples. So not only did he leave his country, he left every, everyone that he knew in China to go out and make disciples of all nations. That's obedience. And so when his son observed him later in life as just this image of abiding, this example of what it is to be in God and have God in him. It wasn't because Hudson Taylor had a nice study, you know, with a warm cup of tea and a, and a leather-bound Bible. He, he had learned to abide in Christ through the road of obedience. Now, the metaphor here that Jesus is saying, he says, as I abide in my Father's love, so you need to abide in my love. And what Jesus abiding in his Father's love looked like was keeping the commandments of the Father. He said, Jesus is, said, Jesus is saying, you don't know anyone that's closer to God than me. I think we would all agree, right? Jesus has perfect, unbroken fellowship with the Father. And the way he describes that fellowship to the disciples is by this consistent, faithful, unbroken obedience. 
If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So Jesus is speaking of that which he knows. He says, you know, my nature with the Father is unity. We're one together. And and so I I follow his commandments. And, And in following his commandments and keeping the commandments of my Father, I maintain an experience, really that's probably a better word, I experience the unity that is my nature. Now, your nature is also union with God. One with oneness with Christ. You have been made one with Christ. You, you're already seated in heavenly places. It, it, your life is tied up with his. Because I live, you live also. John 14, 14 19. We already mentioned Paul. You know, um, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So that's real. That's, the, that's your nature now. Your new nature as a child of God is union with Christ, which should result in obeying his commands and where the obedience of his commands brings you in touch with your new nature. It's a cycle again, I'm sorry. We are growing towards this ultimate reality. We know we don't always obey perfectly. We are growing in grace. We grow through obedience. This is part of the mystery of the already and not yet. Now, practically, of course, you know, we, we recognize that we believe we are in Christ. But we're not always experiencing the reality of that unity. Don't you agree? And, and so, a lot of times when we notice, you know, like, I, I should be closer to the Lord. I should be closer to God. So, you know what you do and what I think you should do is you go maybe spend more time in the Bible. You spend more time with your worship music on. You spend more time praying. And that's good. But you have to admit it's only half of the equation. The realities of the gospel are often beyond our day-to-day experiences. And this is real, but not ideal. So Jesus says how to abide in a way where you are experiencing the love of God in which you are rooted. And I'm going to tell you that the way to experience this very real, supernatural, metaphysical unity with God is through obeying his commandments. Now, probably time for a heart check there. Um, how does it feel to have someone say, obey? Uh, how, the, the flesh resists, I think, you know, you'll, you'll admit. The flesh resists that kind of thing. Keep my commandments. Well, I don't want to. And, and I think that's why Jesus speaks next of the joy of these words. Because I don't think the disciples were that different from us. Even though... They called him Lord and Master. He had to remind them, you call me Lord and Master, and that's good, but you should actually do what I say. And so they needed those reminders too. And so he says, these things I have spoken to you, this is verse 11, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. Now Christ's joy, which anything Christ has is perfect, okay? If, if Christ is holy, it's perfect holiness. If Christ is wise, it's perfect wisdom. If Christ has joy, that's perfect joy. And we know that his joy is rooted in his obedience to the Father. It is, and and, and for the accomplishment of the tasks that were set before him. That's what Hebrews says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the shame. Okay, endured the cross, despising the shame, excuse me. And so when he he talks about 
joy like this. He says, I'm saying this so that my joy may remain, that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. He says, this is the commandment. I, you know, you're going to abide in my love, abide in my love, and if you, abide, if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. Okay, well then, how, how do I keep your... What commandments? Well, love each other. This means loving each other is how you abide in Christ. Now, this command to love one another. He said before, you know, my burden is easy. My yoke is light. He rebuked the Pharisees for, and the Sadducees for putting, tying heavy burdens on men's backs that they wouldn't be willing to lift. He says, that's not what I'm doing. I'm not saying keep all the commandments or, or you don't get any entrant, you know, a rite of, rite of passage. You can't come to where, where I am. He says, no, my burden is easy. My yoke is light. This is the burden. This is the yoke. This is the commandment. Love one another just like I've loved you. Now, how would this give Jesus joy? He says, right, in verse 11, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. He says, how, how what, he says, my joy that my joy may remain in you. So what is Jesus's joy in all of this? Well, it's obedience, like I mentioned. And also, I think Jesus has joy when his kids get along. Um, I think that makes him happy. Now, the other question you have to ask, of course, is how would this make the disciples joyful? He says, I'm saying this so that you can have joy. So, and not only any joy, but so that your joy can be full. Well, I think one thing that would bring them joy would be the realization that they can continue in this abiding fellowship with Jesus through obedience even after he leaves. What are they worried about? They're worried that Jesus is going and they can't come. You know, all of chapter 14, he says, let not your heart be troubled. I'm giving you assurance, you know, and, and so we, we know they're troubled. They're worried, and they're worried that they will not be able to have any more fellowship with Jesus. And so Jesus is saying, no, that's not the way it is. I'm going to tell you how to continue in this abiding relationship with me. And here's how you do it. You keep this simple command, love one another. Jesus just told them how to continue abiding with him. The very thing that they would want to do. And now, here you have to ask, is this the thing that you want? To abide in Christ, to, to abide in His love, to be with Him. Isn't that what we're all striving towards? Isn't that what we're wanting? I mean, it's why we pray, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We look forward to the day when our faith will be sight. Right? And until then, we want intimacy with Christ. We want closeness with God. We want to know that He's here with us. And Jesus is saying to the disciples who are about to be bereft, they're, they're about to be denied access to their Savior, to their Lord, to their Rabbi. He says, no, no, no. You can abide in my love. You can abide in my love by keeping my commandments. And I'm telling you this so that you can have joy. And here's the commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. The command is joyful because fellowship with Jesus is the result. And fellowship with Jesus is beautiful. The command here, what is the command? Verse 12 again, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And then that's described for us in verse 13. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Now, loving God 
and loving your neighbor. Those were Old Testament commands, and Jesus said, you know, these are, these are the greatest ones. The greatest commandment is love the Lord your God. The second, like it, is this, love your neighbor as yourself. Um, but then now Jesus has, has said in John, I, I'm giving you a new commandment. Well, how is it new to love one another? It's this phrase, as I have loved you. It's, a, it's an easy commandment. His burden is easy and his yoke is light. But the standard for love is higher now. It's not just love your neighbor as you love yourself. That was the greatest commandment in the law. But now there's a new covenant. That was the greatest commandment or the second greatest commandment in the old covenant. Now he's giving a new covenant, a new commandment. And it is this, love one another, not as you love yourself. No, 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 no. Love one another as I have loved you. You don't have the perfect standard of love. Your idea of love is, is insufficient. It's weak. Mine is perfect and whole. The, the love that you are called to experience is nothing less than God's love for his only begotten son. It's the same quality of love that God loves you with. But the love that you are called to display is nothing less than Christ's love for his disciples. And again, this is described in verse 13. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friend. Love is defined. Now, of course, this describes the love of Jesus, and that's what Jesus is saying. He says, I'm going to lay down my life for my friends. But he's also explaining the command and, and the means for abiding in his love. This is what you need to do. You lay down your life. And if you follow the argument backwards again, it is in the laying down of your life for others, for each other, where you will find fellowship with Jesus by abiding in his love. Jesus is always serving. If you want to get close to him, then serve. Jesus is always loving people. If you want to be close to Jesus, then love people. You know, as you lay down your life, in other words, as you, as you sacrifice your rights, your preferences, your time, your money, your energy, and you do this for other people, you will be making your home where Jesus has already set up camp. You will be abiding in Christ. Now he talks about friendship and he says, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. And now I've, I've preached uh, a sermon on friendship and it's one of my reruns, so you've probably had a chance to hear it twice, actually. Um, talking about the value that, that Jesus places on friendship and that the rest of Scripture places on friendship and how Jesus says, you know, greater love has no one than this. In other words, the greatest love is this, to lay down your life for friends. And that's not what most of us would think of as the greatest of loves. We would say greater love has no one than this, then he'd lay down his life maybe for his country um, or, or for, his, for his wife, you know, a, a person for, for their spouse. Um, the greatest of loves, we talk about, uh, you know, a mother for her child. 
that seems to be the, the strongest kind of love. You know, Mama Bear deprived of her cubs, and God even uses that language to describe his love for his kids. But Jesus here, he says, that's not the greatest love. The greatest love is that you lay down your life for your friends. Why? Because there's no biological impulse towards your friends. They are not necessary. C.S. Lewis talks about friendship as the most unnecessary kind of loves. You don't choose your family, but you choose your friends. And Jesus is saying, the love I have for you is not um, contractual here. The love I have for you is not because you know, you're my family and I just, I have to love you, you know? I'm sure you have family like that, where you're just like, well, I just have to love them. Jesus is saying, I love you, and I'm laying down my life for you because I chose you. That's where he actually goes with the argument, too. He says, I, I love you, and I'm laying down my life because you're my friends. I like you. I want you to be made well by the medicine that I'm about to go get in this sacrifice. I... I'm laying down my life for you because, because I want to. I want to love you and I want to bless you. Friendship is the relationship that God chooses to describe as the greatest of loves. And this is what he calls you, friend. No longer do I call you servants. For a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Now, if we follow the argument again, you know, love as I have loved you, then the one another he's talking about, other believers, you know, are supposed to be your friends. Um, this may be, you know, subtext rather than the main point of this, because I think Jesus is talking to the eleven. I think at this point, the eleven disciples were friends. I think they were all friends with each other. But in our churches, we know that's not always the case. You're not always friends with the people that sit a few rows back. His relationship with us, his love for us, is a model for our love for each other. And the highest standard, of course, and the, the main point he's making is that that love looks like this. It looks like death. It looks like laying down your life. But, you know, the, the prerequisite for that level, he says you lay down your life for your friends. And, and it may not be any easier to hear this commandment. Be friends. Be friends with other Christians. Be friends with the people in your church. Start making friends. Then lay down your life for them. Wash their feet. Sacrifice your own rights, your own preferences, your own time, your own money, your own energy, maybe even your own safety for the benefit of your friends, God's children. When you do, you again are making your home where Jesus lives. You will be with Jesus. Because you are more than, you know, just a tool in the master's hand. Though that would be enough. It says, I don't call you servants. Now, all of us, we consider ourselves servants of Christ. Paul would take this title, you know, to the grave, bondservant of Christ. That's, well, that's what he is. But Jesus is saying, you're not just an employee here. You're not just, you know, um, the, the closest thing, the, the closest tool to my hand, so I'm going to use that since I, I don't have anything better. He says, no, I'm, you're my friends. And, and you're my, my partners. This relationship that he describes saying, you know, I, I um, have revealed to you, I've made known to you all that my Father has made known. He says, I'm bringing you in to 
you know, the, the, the boardroom where the decisions are made. I'm showing you my heart. I'm showing you what the Father's will is. I'm not just sending you blindly, you know? He did that once as sheep among wolves, right? He sent them, and they know that. He says, I'm, it's more than that now. It's more than that. I am including you in the work of my Father. You too now can be about your Father's business. Number 16, which we read, says, You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. And then finishing off in verse 17, These things I command you, that you love one another. Now, disciples in that day and age would normally choose their master. Um, you would, there would be an application process. Uh, and it's pretty hard to get through. It's pretty hard to get a good rabbi. You know, there's a lot of rejection letters in that application process. But this wasn't the way it was with Jesus. He chose them. And he's reminding them this, um, encouraging them, saying, I, I picked you. I chose you. You're going to be with me. I chose you to bear fruit. Your purpose is fruitfulness now. And this reminder is encouraging for two reasons. One, he likes you. He says, I'm treating you like friends. He likes you. And the second reason is Christ has faith in his disciples that they would bear fruit. And of course, really, that's a confidence in his own spirit to be able to produce fruit in them. But still, I think some of you could use this encouragement. Christ looks at the disciples, and they are not impressive. This is not the all-star team, okay? And, and he says, you can be fruitful. In fact, I appointed you that you should bear fruit, and your fruit should remain, and whatever you ask the Father in my name, he'll give you. Now, this whatever he asks thing, it's, it's connected with fruit, uh, partnering with the vine dresser. It's assumed in this context that the things that you're asking for are things pertaining to the fruitfulness of the kingdom of God. And he says, so I, I know you're going to bear this fruit. You're going to do it. I appointed you to bear this fruit, to obey my commands. And what are the commands? He reminds them again, these things I command you, that you love one another. Now, just tying this back to the first part of chapter 15 with the, the abiding in, in the vine, branches abiding in the vine, settling into the love of Christ, abiding in Christ, and then fruitfulness being appointed to bear fruit. And if you keep the commandments, you'll abide. And if you abide, you'll bear fruit. And it, to abide, you keep the command to love one another. Um, and you've got all these, these mixed metaphors and circular reasoning there. Um, but, but to see that the vine dresser's hand on you, he's caring for you. And the root that you're attached to is, is giving you your life, producing these nutrients. And the purpose that he has for you, he's tending you, you are a choice vine. The purpose he has for you is for you to love with the same level of sacrifice that Christ has loved you with, with which Christ has loved you. The purpose of you, the vine, the branches rather, is to bear the fruit of obedience. And this obedience is nothing less than sacrificing, laying down your life for the brethren, loving your friends, make friends first, then love them with the same extreme self-sacrifice of the cross. This is the fruit, and you've been appointed to bear this fruit, and God is glorified when this fruit is born. And this fruit, this fruit, will remain. Christ is confident. I'm confident in this. You should be confident in this. Little children, 
let us love one another.